You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Welcome to this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell with the News and Observer. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, this is sort of a special episode for us. Uh, This is Domecast number 52, uh, and that means that we have been doing this for about exactly a year now. Uh, Just a year ago, uh, a bunch of print journalists got together and thought that we could uh, attempt to do a podcast um, and and hopefully make somewhat some sense and and be somewhat interesting to listeners. And a, a year later, we're still attracting hundreds, I think five or 600 listeners a week. Uh, and uh, yeah, hundred thousand. Yeah, that's 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 really where our ratings stand. Uh, thank, thanks, Dan Boylan, for that little correction. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's been a fun ride, and uh, we hope to continue trying to uh, enlighten, maybe entertain you a little bit about uh, the, the goings on in politics. Um, and we've got a special guest later in the show uh, joining us to to help us celebrate. But I also invited uh, another uh, former Domecast cast member, Ben Brown, uh, formerly of the Insider, now of the uh, NC League of Municipalities to uh, participate, and uh, he told me he wasn't sure if he could make it, but uh, in true uh, public relations fashion, he sent me a written statement uh, to read uh, on the show, and so I'll, I'll, I'll read that now. In the rigorous week of a journalist, Domecast was the best chance to let loose while on the clock, and I think that's the magic ingredient of the show. It is loose. It is fun. And it's been that way all along. We started without any hard rules and without much planning. We would just pick the best topics of the week and discuss. Basically, we just went at it mostly off the cuff, which is what makes Domecast so jazzy. Back in March, I had to leave the show for a new job. For me, that meant a shift from Domecast participant to Domecast fan. For my money, it's the best and most entertaining half hour of North Carolina political news banter on the planet. And if I had to pay for it, I'd still feel that way. But please don't make me pay. I keep running into folks who love the show. Frequently, they'll give me their own picks for Headliner of the Week. It's also worth mentioning that you guys individually have fans. Just the other day, a listener predicted that Domecast will launch Lynn Bonner into a new career in radio or commercial voice narration. It's not the first time I've heard that. Anyway, I'll let you get back to the show. Sorry I couldn't be there to help celebrate, but I hope you'll invite me back soon. Love, Ben. Thanks, Ben, for that. Um, We will definitely, if we can get you in here one of these weeks to to do Headliners of the Week, we'll... uh, Get you back on the air, uh, if at all possible. We we miss you here on the show. Tears in all of our eyes. Yes, exactly. Um, but uh, on sort of a, a looking ahead note, um, we have a new uh, political editor here at the News and Observer, and uh, he'll be uh, a, a new voice on Domecast uh, starting in the, the next couple weeks. And, and wanted to introduce uh, Jordan Schrader, who is our, our new politics editor here at the NNO. Hello, Jordan. Welcome to the Domecast. Yeah, it's an honor to be on the Domecast, especially on uh, the anniversary show with such distinguished guests. And uh, and as the show becomes goes from what an infant to a, a toddler, or yeah, or I mean, it might almost to, be walking now. It's talking a little bit, saying yeah. a few words. Uh, yeah, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So tell uh, us a little about your background, Jordan, and uh, how you made your way to uh, to Raleigh for this new new gig. So most recently, I covered state government in Washington State, uh, which is a little different political climate from North Carolina. And I did that for about six years for the Tacoma News Tribune. And before that, I was here, actually. I was uh, covering covering state government for the Asheville Citizen Times, so mostly following what was going on with the delegation from out in the mountains and uh, things that affected out, uh, uh, out there. Um, but uh, very different when I was here then uh, in the Capitol. There was the Democrats controlled the governor's office, Democrats controlled the House, Democrats controlled the Senate. 
so it's interesting to come back here uh, when things have have changed quite a bit and uh, and when there's such uh, exciting goings on related to uh, HB2 and, and everything else. So, so yeah, I guess your old sources are not nearly as powerful as they were when you left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there was a lot of Republicans from out in the mountain counties too, but a lot of people have uh, have moved on or gone from uh, uh, backbenchers to uh, uh, to power or vice versa. So things have changed quite a bit. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jordan. And we'll be hearing from you more in the uh, the coming weeks here on the Owncast, I'm sure. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Thanks. And uh, sort of continuing in this theme, uh, we had sort of an interesting um, event at the, uh, the press room at the legislature this week. This was uh, uh, a number of uh, folks uh, appeared outside the, the, the press room, and I uh, just wanted to sort of read the description uh, of, from Dan Boylan, who was uh, there and taught himself the click-clack of formal shoes on marble floors, adjusting of coats and dresses that were a little too loose or long. A handful of teenagers were striding purposefully through the General Assembly hallways this week, uh, part of the teen-packed leadership schools. Uh, and for more than 20 years, the Christian nonprofit educational ministry sent students aged uh, 13 to 19 to state capitals across the country uh, to learn the legislative process and actually say a few prayers uh, along the way. So this week, uh, Dan Boylan uh, from The Insider caught up with them outside of the, the press offices where we work in the, the General Assembly building. So we'll, uh, we'll let the words speak for themselves uh, and take a listen. Okay. Amanda Wiggins, 17, Tampa, Florida. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for the press and for all that you have accomplished in and through them. Um, Lord, please give them the wisdom to say the truth, because uh, the truth is what they're tasked with uh, communicating. So God, I pray that you will just speak through them, uh, speak life. Uh, I pray that they won't be afraid uh, to share what you've put on their hearts, because that'll always be truth. Um, but give them the courage and the boldness to proclaim your word uh, so that they can be shining lights for you uh, in all of North Carolina and beyond. Noah Wilson, 17, and I'm from Holly Springs, North Carolina. Uh, Heavenly Father, um, I thank you so much for the people that are in the press, Father, and that do their job specifically in this building. I pray that the truth would be the ultimate value of what they do, Father. I pray that everything would lead them back to it, Father, and that would be all that they report and all that they desire to report. I pray that they wouldn't do stuff for ratings or just for the latest news that would get them noticed, Father, but I pray that everything they do is solely for the people of their subscribe the people of North Carolina and their subscribers, Father, and that they would just report everything that people need to hear, Father. I also pray that the people in the press that are Christians, Father, would not compromise their morals and that godly people would be raised up to be in the press and just would influence people for Christ everywhere they are. Thank you, Father, so much for these people. Here in my prayer. Amen. All right, so that was a interesting uh, sound to be heard outside the uh, the press room, where normally we just hear uh, politicians going back and forth and uh, trying to, to catch a few snippets of their conversation if they were saying anything newsworthy as they walk past our open door. Uh, but uh, it is certainly an interesting time to be covering um, state politics uh, as journalists uh, amid all the HB2 action, uh, the degree to which we've had national news. I kept seeing a reporter from the New York Times in our, uh, our press room last week, which was uh, not not something that's typical. So uh, uh, Pat Gannon and uh, Dan Boylan from The Insider, if you guys want to jump in on this a little bit about sort of the uh, nature of, of covering uh, journal, or politics in, in this state, particularly in the, the climate we're facing right now. Yeah, it's just a crazy time, not only with House Bill 2 here in North Carolina, but with the presidential race, uh, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, all that goes along with that. 
Um, it's a weird time to be a, be a journalist um, in, in the age of social media as well. Um, you know, Colin, I've seen many back and forth between you and you and readers about about things. Um, I've had them myself. I just the other day. I'd written a column for the Capitol Press Association about House Bill 2 and somebody uh, out there who I, I don't know who he was, but uh, took umbrage with it and sent me a Facebook uh, message, a long Facebook message. And he had apparently been on my my Facebook profile and saw um, my daughter's picture, who you know, and, and some of my nieces and nephews pictures and, and asked how somebody with little kids could want um, uh, uh men in women's bathrooms uh i guess he thought that my column was um anti hb2 um and sent me a long text message that never knew who the guy was went back and really creepy when your kids get brought into it extremely extremely creepy so i've I've since locked down my facebook and and all that stuff but this is the kind of thing that happens and i know uh mandy Locke, you know who just uh published that awesome series uh called deadly force in the news and observer that if you haven't read you should. I know she had a rough uh, few months of it trying to deal with people and, and tell their stories and, and the reactions of people who didn't want the stories told. And, and it's just one of those things. It's not it's not an easy job, and but we, we choose to do it. Um, and, uh, you know, you hear stories all the time about reporters being threatened and, and um, you know, things like that. And it's just, it's not, you know, it's not fun. Yeah, and I think the more we're out there as, you know, Twitter entities, Facebook personalities, et cetera, outside of just being bylines, the more we become public figures. And I think to a certain extent, get a lot of the flack that the uh, elected officials get. I'm sure these these sort of stories are, are nothing new to the the folks that we cover who are legitimately putting themselves out there as elected leaders and, and high profile figures around the state. But as, as journalists, we're not as, as used to that. And so when I'm, you know, at home and scrolling through Twitter, and I'm seeing, you know, a bunch of people uh, attacking me for some sort of perceived bias, you know, it's... It can be hard, and I'm, I have a hard time trying to disconnect. My my wife is trying to do a good job of telling me to you know throw my cell phone across the room when I get home and uh, just try to unplug from just the steady stream of uh, news and commentary on these these hot topics that are, are going on in our state right now. And your wife hopes that the windows open so the cell phone goes flying out the window. Yeah, the it street. never comes back, and I'm suddenly you know. <laughs> back in reality of, you know, being a normal person and yeah. not someone who's constantly plugged into Twitter. I mean, I think, Colin, with, with that, this is Dan, uh, that uh, this week I was thinking we're, we're the second week into this short session, and leadership has talked about trying to wrap it up in two months. And I think that that, that concept of the fog of war, right, we're, we're kind of in that idea of political time now, where this fog of HB2 is so distracting, in a sense, to journalists, to politicians across the state, somebody like Nelson Dollar, who's the House's lead budget writer, uh, you know, they supposedly he's, he's given out figures to committee members, Republican committee members about what their budget spending limits should be. So the Republican machine, I thought this week you saw signs of it sort of working its way through the fog of war. Uh, they've worked. The, they're planning the work, and they're working the plan. Will they be distracted? Because if they get pulled away by uh, the Trump circus at the convention this weekend, or in July at the national convention, um, th- they're going to get hit hard. Or we'll see that right now they're just they've got their blinders on. Do they? Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, good politicians. I think when political time's such a funny thing. It's yeah. journalists. We we reported on minute by minute. But if you're good at it, you're like that. You're like a horse. You're a racehorse with your blinders on. Yeah, I mean, you're you not going to let anybody this. get in your yeah. get in your way, right? 
Because the, the end game for most of these guys is well beyond HB2. They've got right. ambitions for what they want to run for next or right. you know, this uh, particular policy items that they want to get past uh, that, that may not generate nearly the headlines, but you know, they got to get through this first. And, right. Um, and that's, that's a, that can be a mind trap be, or, or a land uh, traps in front of you because when you are a horse that your blinders on, Still, the daily churn is people asking for reaction to things that really have nothing to do with your endgame, which is re-election in November. Yeah, for sure. But they, they feel like they do to a journalist or to the outside world, but to you, right? Yeah, exactly. You kind of have to go around all these rocks in front of you. Yeah, exactly, and, and and some of us I think see them as those as those rocks. So when I was trying to get a comment from Senator Buck Newton, who's running for Attorney General on this whole Department of Justice ruling this week on on HB two, uh, you could tell it was like oh, it almost felt like he was swatting a fly. Like uh, you know, I pop out from around a corner at the microphone, and he's like, no, 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 I've, I don't have time for for questions right now. And right, and then I hear him on the phone itself, and was like, yeah, a reporter just came up to me. So it's you know, it's, it's this right. realization that all these been caught. Yeah, the these sort of day to day questions that could could potentially hurt you. I mean, he's dealing with that right now with that whole keep North Carolina straight comment that people interpreted a, a different way than he claimed that he was uh, meaning it in, in one of his speeches, and and all of this sort of feeds into you know is, is that just going to be the day's news cycle, or is that uh, going to ultimately harm somebody like Newton come November when it's really you know a make or break time for his political career. He's not running for Senate again, so he either becomes the next Attorney General or he goes back to private life. Right. Um, and so, yeah, you're, you're right. It's this weird kind of disconnect between the way we as journalists think about things just day to day and then sort of the eyes on the prize approach that I think a lot of politicians have to have in order to uh, continue to succeed politically. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's also sometimes when you're outside of state government and you wonder what these people are really up to. And then when you're inside and you're observing it and you see them huddle together right before heading into a chamber and the laughter is that much louder. Yeah. The backs are slapped that much harder. It's because they're under a lot of pressure. Yeah. They got to, you know, blow off that steam one way or the other. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Dan and Pat, for that. Uh, And we will return uh, with a little more uh, topical conversation on some of the news of the week in our next segment. Stay with us. This is you over 30 years ago. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And this is your mom now. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Roles change without us noticing. That's why AARP gives you the information to provide even better care for your loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to this week's Domecast, the uh, first anniversary edition of our podcast. I'm Colin Campbell from the News and Observer. And uh, joining us to talk about a couple of news items this week, uh, Pat Gannon of the NC Insider and Dan Boylan, also of the NC Insider. Uh, Starting with Pat, um, this was uh, another week for uh, budget deliberations, which uh, in a normal week, that would have been the the top story of the week, uh, as all other stories have been for a month or so now, have been overshadowed by HB2. But uh, bring us up to speed with uh, some of uh, what's happened happened in the, the budget world uh, uh, for that side of the legislature, because a lot of the folks in the legislature are probably more focused on that than they are uh, the bigger news story right now. Yeah, they definitely are. The House gets the budget first this year. They've they've started holding uh, the individual budget committees, have started taking a look at their uh, parts of the budget. We also heard this week that the House and Senate 
um, have agreed on a bottom line spending number, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's $2.225 billion, which is uh, more than they spent last year, but less than the governor wanted them to spend. Um, it seems to be a win for the Senate there. They're, they're always wanting to spend a little less money than the House. Um, yeah, it's a big shift from last year, because last year the House budget was, what, a 5% increase? This is about a, I think, 2.26 was the, the magic percentage number increase. So, uh, And last year the House fought for that for months. Yeah, and the, the good thing, at least you know, from kind of the outside looking in, the good thing that they agreed on this number is last year, like you said, it took them a long, long time to agree on a bottom line spending number. The House had wanted to spend a lot more than the Senate, and it took them you know, weeks and weeks to... Yeah. to That's in to, part why we had the longest session of at least the last decade going on into September. If they'd agreed to that number earlier, we would have been out of here in August, maybe. It is. So if you're a politician or a uh, lobbyist or a journalist who wants this session to be a true short session, this is probably the best news we could have heard um, this week. It seems like the budget is moving along. Um, along those lines, um, the... Uh, I guess the tax discussion, um, as, as we all know, the Republicans have done a lot of tax changes in recent years, cutting the corporate and personal income taxes. They want to continue that this year. We, we keep hearing Senator Bob Rucho, who's been kind of the tax uh, revenue guru in the Senate, who's uh, retiring after this year. But we've heard him say for months now that he wants to uh, help the middle class this year um, by raising the standard deduction that... Um, that uh, taxpayers, uh, I guess standard deduction is where, you know, up to a certain amount of money, you don't have to pay state taxes on it. Now, it's currently, I believe, at $15,500 a year, or it will be for the 2016 tax year. And he wants to increase that by a couple thousand dollars, I believe, which means, you know, if, if you make under a certain amount of money, you don't have to pay taxes on 2000 more of your income, which would save uh, the average person, I don't know, somewhere in the $100, $150 range a year. So Senator Rucho wants to do that, and he wants to do it, at least he's told me a couple different times, he wants to do it in a standalone bill, just up or down vote, you know, let's raise the standard deduction, um, help help the middle class. He's calling it the uh, Middle Class Tax Relief Act or, so, or something like that. Um, the House, I talked to Speaker Tim Moore this week, and, and he told me that he wants any tax deductions or any tax changes like that to go in the budget. So, I mean, those are two different proposals. If you put it in the budget, then you, um, it could be a very smart political move by Republicans because if they put it in the budget and Democrats don't like anything else in the budget, but of course they want to um, help the middle class out, then they're stuck. Do I vote for the budget or do I vote against because the Because then budget? your opponent in an election cycle can say, you know, you voted against tax cuts and I wanted to give people tax cuts. Exactly. And they could say that truthfully, although not with the whole picture, but we all know political ads, that's what they do. They they don't give you the whole picture, but they give you the, the, the picture that, that looks bad for your opponent. Um, so, Republic, so if they put, do put in the budget, Democrats will be in a quandary in terms of do I, you know, chances are with the bottom line spending number, the Democrats aren't going to get the, the type of uh, salary and um, salary increases they want for state employees and teachers. It may be one or two or three percent as opposed to the five percent for teachers that the governor had recommended. Um, so they'll be they'll be stuck either voting against the middle tax uh, tax cut or for um, salary and bonuses that they don't fully support. Yeah, and um, if they vote yes, then they can't make the argument, you know, 
we wanted to do more for teachers and these Republicans over here weren't willing to spend the money necessary to make sure our teachers are paid what they deserve, something to that effect. That's, you can sort of see the ads already write themselves on either side. You can. This. I mean, you can see the image already or the, the yeah, the, you can see this already playing out over the next couple months. And the other thing, too, is if it is an up, down, up or down vote um, on this uh, uh, standard deduction increase that uh, Senator Rucho wants, the House, I talked to some House members this week, and they say that they're going to try to get, instead of this increase in the standard deduction, they want the uh, earned income tax credit to come back. So they're going to push instead. It's not going to happen, but they're yeah, going to push. Yeah, it's a, an annual push from Democrats that uh, has, has not gone very far. Yeah, they're going to push for that. And the hard thing for Democrats, too, is if they get stuck voting for this up-down uh, standard deduction Increase. They're they're basically cutting two hundred more million dollars out of the state budget because that's about how the estimate on how much it would cost. So they're 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 vote. They've been complaining for the last few years about uh, the tax cuts and how they're leaving the state without enough money for education and and other needs. So of course they're not going to vote against if it's an up down vote. I don't think most of them will vote against it. But they they'll be voting to cut two hundred more million out of the budget, which could go for increased teacher raises. Uh, uh, state employee raises, et cetera. So um, Democrats are ha- going to have a tough time, I think, uh, this year. And, and it, it, it it is an election year. So that's Yeah. Cool. Maybe a smart move by Josh Stein to, to get out of the legislature while he could and, and just hit the campaign trail for attorney general. But uh, certainly uh, it's going to be interesting to watch all the uh, political uh, implications of everything uh, that goes on in the legislature in the next month or two uh, as, as we come towards a very crucial election, I think, in North Carolina. Thanks for that, Pat. And we'll turn next to Dan Boylan from The Insider. Dan covered uh, a story that didn't make much news this week, one bill filing that uh, uh, could have a pretty serious impact on how we cast our ballots uh, in in elections here in North Carolina, assuming it moves forward. Dan, tell us a little about that. Uh, That's right, Colin. On Tuesday, uh, House Democrats filed a bill that would allow online voter registration for the state. Currently, 31 other states plus the District of Columbia allow online voter registration. They, they're they hoping that this uh, expands the, the roles. I, I was talking with Pat about this, and a lot of, I think, political uh, consultants will say that, you know, when they really dig into the dig into the election rolls and they're trying to get out the vote, you see a softness in these in these numbers. Um, so this this could tighten that up. Uh, the process is essentially the same as the paper registration in that you need to furnish to the uh, Board of Elections either your license or your voter ID. Uh, the issue here in North Carolina is that we've had some some significant problems with, with elections and voting uh right accusations of partisan gerrymandering certainly has worked its way through the courts. Uh, we've had issues with the primaries. The uh, Was it the March 15th primaries and whether those have been signed off by the Board of Elections yet? Uh, Republicans also say that this is, well, it's an interesting idea, but it's certainly not a short session idea. They want to, Bob Ruccio, I spoke to him this week, and he said that his gut feeling is it's really more of a long session idea because we need to really look at this thing. Uh, the National Conference of State Legislatures, though, up in Washington, I spoke to a woman up there named Wendy Underhill, who really is their election uh, guru, and she said that it tends to be a very bipartisan trend at this point, with states as differently as Rhode Island and Idaho just having adopted it. And they've done that. Six states have already adopted it this year, online voter registration. Yeah, so interesting to see if that moves ahead. But the sense you get from the Republicans is uh, this is probably uh, not going to happen in the next couple of months, but, but it's something that they're at least willing to consider going into maybe next year's long session. 
Yeah, what's the old uh, Nixon-Kennedy line? They stole that election fair and square. I yeah. mean, if you're looking at what you want to do and you've figured out your roadmap for November, you don't want somebody to throw a spanner in the works at the last minute. Yeah, um, that makes sense. So, you know, I, and I think it's one of those things. I, I think that sometimes people really worry and say that online voting, there's a potential for fraud. But I, I think that the National Conference of State Legislatures have said that 31 states have adopted this. One of the reasons is that you don't see much fraud, that the system is pretty tight. Um, yeah. All right. Thanks, Dan, for that. And uh, we're going to wrap up this segment with a conversation Dan had earlier this week uh, about the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, obviously, it was in the news, I guess, last weekend. Uh, probably the, the biggest moments that seemed to be popping up in my Twitter feed was uh, Obama literally dropping a mic as he uh, left the stage uh, from his speech. Uh, and so in honor of, uh, of the White House Correspondents' Dinner and North Carolina barbecue as well, uh, Dan Boylan uh, spoke with Steve Buzz Toma from the uh, McClashy Washington. Bureau. He's their political editor. Uh, he's also a true insider as the uh, former uh, president of the White House Correspondents Association, something he did from 2013 to 2014. So that basically means he's been in charge of that dinner. And he spoke with Dan about the uh, spectacle, uh, as well as Washington's need for some North Carolina barbecue. So we'll take a listen to that as uh, we wrap up this segment of Domecast. Well, I've been, I've been attending the dinner for about 25 years. Uh, I am a former board member of the White House Correspondents Association and a former president. This year, I'm just a lowly member. Uh, it is uh, it has become quite a spectacle. It is where Hollywood meets Washington, meets sports, meets business tycoons, meet a decent steak and a glass of wine. It's very nice, a decent steak and a glass of wine. Uh, just before we began taping this, you you mentioned that there was no North Carolina barbecue uh, there this year. Is that right? No. Uh, every year, the president of the association, uh, who's a reporter, has some unilateral powers, one of which is they pick the entertainer, one of which is they pick where everyone gets their table, and they also pick the menu. And so uh, year in, year out, no one has yet to pick North Carolina barbecue, I'm sorry to say. Oh, maybe there's maybe maybe Mr. Trump or Mr. Clinton next year. Mrs. Clinton next year will uh, will will give a shout out to us. Well, they they can give a shout out. They can't pick the menu. They don't have that power. And at this point, I mean, this this dinner has taken on this. The, the, I think to our, a lot of the folks who listen to the Domecast, they would think that it's on the one hand this wild spectacle of the press being too close to the presidency. On the other hand, it allows the president to actually make fun of himself, which is something that's that's rare in the world. Well, better yet, it allows us to make fun of the president. <laughs> uh, you know, there's an art form uh, to this dinner. Uh, comedians have learned it. Presidents have learned it, which is, number one, self-deprecating humor is the best. Presidents who make fun of themselves. And Bill Clinton did that. George W. Bush did that. Obama does it sometimes. I don't think he makes fun of himself as much. That's a big hit. And the other thing is, and I told the entertainer when I hired the entertainer for my dinner, you have to make fun of everyone in the room. You can't just come out and make a political speech. It's that the room is about a third Republican, a third Democrat, and a third media. Make fun of them all. So when I hired a, a fellow named Joel McHale to tell the jokes at the dinner when I was president two years ago, I told him that, and he, he responded, he said, don't worry, Steve, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Well, I didn't want him to offend. I just wanted to tease all three sides. Nice, nice. And any uh, over your years of doing this, is one last question. A very humorous anecdote. 
something quick, something funny. Well, when I was uh, sitting next to this president, Barack Obama, during the dinner, I flinched a few times at some of the kind of raunchy jokes that Joel McHale. I reached over to Obama and uh, during the jokes, and I said, well, there goes my legacy, and he put his hand on his knee, my knee, and he said, don't worry, Steve, I've heard much worse. I don't know if he'd still say that after this week's dinner, but that was his response. Welcome back to this week's Domecast, and now it's time for... Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Who is your headliner of the week? Headliner of the week. And starting off the Headliner of the Week segment this week, we've got a special guest for you in honor of our uh, one-year anniversary episode. We are listening to Domecast number 52. Uh, We started this just about a year ago, and uh, joining us on the line is uh, the original host of Domecast, Andy Curlis. Andy, welcome to the show. Glad to be here calling in, uh, Colin, and it's hard to believe it's been a year. Yeah, it feels like just yesterday we were sitting in front of really crappy microphones and uh, we were kind of bumbling our way through our, our first episode. Yeah, so, um, but congratulations and glad to, um, you know, glad to be a part of it, glad to be back. And uh, congratulations, of course, to Jordan, um, who, who who steps into that chair. It's a real privilege uh, to be in that in that role. So, anyway, glad to be with you. Yeah, definitely. So, how's uh, things been going for you in the the new job since you uh, left the the world of NC politics and uh, in and O journalism? Yeah, wonderful. Um, no complaints. So still, you know, following everything pretty closely, and um, you know, really enjoying um, enjoying a, a, you know different different facets, but still uh, helping people communicate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I'll uh, ask you the question that you asked so eloquently for uh, the first however many episodes, and, and that is, who is your headliner of the week? And I, I still can't say it as well as you uh, can. Well, so, uh, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going first here, but I don't think there's any doubt this week the headliner of the week is a, uh, someone who has never been mentioned, I'm certain of this, in, in the one year of Domecast, and it is, I don't even know how to say her name, Vanita... Gupta, who is the uh, top uh, civil rights uh, lawyer in the Justice Department, and she, of course, pinned that letter uh, stating the Justice Department's position, uh, you know, really the the upend House Bill 2. We'll see what happens. But um, that's who I would throw in the hat. uh, Someone nobody in North Carolina politics has ever heard of until this week, and suddenly uh, it made big headlines uh, all across the country and of course has has ripples that are going out across the country so Vanita Gupta is who I would put in yeah Vanita Gupta the headliner of the week yeah great choice there and uh, one that uh, I think she she does perhaps have the um, influence in this I heard the White House press briefing yesterday basically saying that uh, this was all Department of Justice attorneys that Obama and, and the White House didn't have a, a direct role in this so uh, it seems like this person we've never heard of really has had a, an impact on the, the future of HB2 and, and where this debate is all headed yeah and it looks like I guess you know more than ever it's going to be sorted out in the in the courts you know that they're just the way things are kind of shaping up is this is going to end up as some type of a court fight which you know you all have talked about before but i think this makes that you know even more clear so be interesting to see how it all plays out that's for sure absolutely well vanita gupta in the hat for headliner of the week and uh thanks andy curlis for uh calling in and, and being a part of our one-year anniversary episode 
Yeah, first time caller, but long time listener. Yeah, exactly. Just just like on, a, on an AM talk radio show. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna hang up now and let you talk about that, and I'll I'll just listen in. All right, <laughs> sounds good. Thanks yeah. for calling in, Andy. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll see you guys and uh, have fun. Thanks. And we'll turn next to Pat Gannon of the NC Insider. Pat, who's your headliner of the week? I'm going to go with House Majority Leader Mike Hager of Rutherford. He he made news this week in debate over a uh, omnibus bill of of tax changes, um, mostly minor and technical. But he took uh, note of one specific provision that had to do with subsidies, uh, basically jet fuel tax breaks, sales tax breaks for uh, commercial airlines. He thought that the the, wor- the wording in the changes might have been an expansion of the tax break uh, to American Airlines and, and, and other airlines, I guess. Um, found out later that it wasn't, but he used that to go into a to a big offensive against um, incentives, and incentives are always a big uh, topic around here. And he being kind of the, the leader of a conservative wing of the House Republican um, the House Republicans um, didn't didn't waste long this session before the incentives uh, debate started. So I'm going to go with Mike Hager. All right, Mike Hager in the hat, uh, in part because of the incentive reasons, but I'll, I'll give him another reason to be in the hat, and that's the uh, uh, special chocolate cake he received from Montel Williams on uh, Thursday. He'd had some sort of Twitter debate with uh, the uh, well-known former uh, talk show host, um, and uh, the end result was that Williams had him sent a, a special bakery cake, uh, including uh, hashtag repeal HB2 and icing. So uh, that was uh, another reason Mike Hager was, was in the news this week. Uh, and we will turn next to Dan Boylan of the NC Insider. Uh, Dan, who's your headliner of the week? Uh, thank you, Colin. My headliner for the week is a concept, I think we could say, message discipline amongst state Republican leadership in the wake of Donald Trump's uh, unended march towards uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, Trump expected to become the first, what is it, president, or pardon me, uh, nominee from a major party since Eisenhower. Uh, who never held elected office. So the, the fallout from that, the cascade effects of how people are reacting has been wild and unpredictable for the last uh, several months of his candidacy. So this week I, I thought that would be good because uh, I saw Senate President Phil Berger on his way into the chamber on Tuesday kind of deftly avoiding uh, any critique of Donald Trump, though he'd previously nominated or though he'd previously supported Ted Cruz. I also saw uh, House Rules Chairman uh, David Lewis. Uh, a delicious smile spread across his face when asked about Trump. And this weekend, uh, Republicans being at the uh, out in Greensboro for their state party convention, when asked about Trump, he just uh, he smiled and said he would get behind whatever nominee the party put up because uh, uh, the alternative was nothing he liked. So, yeah. so party discipline. Party, party discipline, discipline. Uh, as a uh, conceptual uh, contender for headliner of the week this week. And uh, I'll be interested to see. Uh, I'll be at that uh, Republican convention on, on Saturday of this weekend, and I'll uh, see how much uh, appetite there is for Trump there and, and how many people are, are less than thrilled about the, the party's presumptive nominee. Thanks, Dan, for that. Uh, so we've got uh, – Party Discipline, Mike Hager, and Vanita Gupta as our uh, headliner of the week choices. And uh, given the uh, impact of HP2, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Gupta on this. The uh, largely unknown until this week headliner of the week uh, suggested by Andy Curlis, our former host and and former editor, uh, joining us for the one-year anniversary episode. So uh, with that, we will uh, head on out. Uh, Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode, and we will talk to you next week. 
You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News & Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com. 